Well, good morning. I want to welcome uh, Sue and Sabrina. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Um, Sarah and Trevor, it's wonderful to have you here. Busy with this series, it's called Winter is Coming. Let me just get this thing going here. The world is getting colder, and Jesus said that that would happen as the end draws near. The world will get colder. Now, when John describes the nature of God, when he says, okay, I've got to choose one word to describe the God who created the heavens and the earth, he chose one word. Which, which is that? Who remembers? Love. First John 4 verse 8, God is love. So when John tries to explain to us, hey, what is this God like that created everything? He says, well, here we go. I can only use one word, and it's love. Now, quick question. What do we expect will happen when we, in our world where we live, we push God out of school, we push Him out of public life? What is inevitably going to happen when we push the God of love out of our lives? The inevitable result will be this. We will start to love less. The end result would be that we would become cold. I think that's very understandable. And Jesus tells us through this prophecy that this is what will happen. That as time progresses and we get closer to the end of the world, people will start loving each other less. It's a simple result of wickedness. That's what he says in chapter 24, verse 12 of Matthew. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And so we as God's people, if we are going to be filled with love, care about others, we're going to become a minority. And that needs to sort of sink in. And the difficulty is this. As most people become cold and most people don't care about each other, the temptation is for us to be the same. Like, for example, as I've said in the introduction to this series, if, if I go out and nobody greets me the whole day, what am I going to end up being? I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. Well, people around you don't greet they don't look friendly. They don't smile. Okay, so I suppose it's the way that it is. And before I know it, I don't greet people anymore. I don't smile anymore. And so the norm in society rubs off on me. So I've, I've suggested so far two things that we can do to counter the coldness, to make sure that we don't become like that. The first thing I suggested was that we, we cuddle. And that means that we uh, spend time together. You spend time with people that are warm, you'll get warm. You spend time with people that are kind, you'll be kind. Because we rub off on each other. That's the first thing. The second thing last week was, um, go take a, a, a bath. Hopefully you guys had one of those this week. So, so go take a bath. And the idea was there that Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, when you, when you sin, you separate yourself from God. And if God is the God of love and you want to be close to Him, you want to be warm, you've got to deal with some sin in your life. And when you do that, when you live a life of repentance, you soak yourself and you immerse yourself in your own, um, your own struggles. And you talk to God about that, immediately it brings you closer to Him. And the closer you are to God, the warmer you will get. But there's another thing that I'm going to talk about today that I think we can do to um, just keep ourselves warm, is that we can dress up. We can dress up. We can dress warmly. The best way, I think, to keep yourself warm I've learned that here in the States, is to dress properly. This year I went and I bought some nice jackets 
some good-looking jacket as well, because I had this ugly thing from Africa that I, I don't know where it came from. My, my wife said to me, hey, bro, you look like a hillbilly, man. Don't wear that thing. So I had to go get a nice one. So I got a nice one for this. And it, it changes everything when you've got a neat jacket and some neat pants, and, and you just stay warm. Now, spiritually, what does that mean? Spiritually, to dress warm, I'd like to suggest to us this morning is to dress yourself in love. To live love. When people look at you, they see love. And to put that in simple terms, um, there's various ways that we can ex explain what love is. For example, uh, to bless people. To have compassion on people. To be friendly. To be kind. These are all types of expressions of love. To help people. To counsel people. To care about them when nobody else does. That is love. To assist them. To encourage them. To see when they struggle. To actually care about them. To reach out when you see people are struggling with, with just life. To say, hey, I actually care about you, man. What's happening in your life? That's love. And the more we do that, the more the world will become warmer. And so there's two things, that, two things that happens when we love. Love makes others warm. When you care about others, you're kind, you're compassionate, you, you, you're concerned about their well-being. What you're doing when you love them is you're making them feel warm. And so when you do that, you're countering the coldness in society. And this is hard. When you get out of here and people are cold, and then you go try to be warm, and they just cold back, it's very hard to continue being warm, but you'll be surprised at the impact that you are making. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Love makes you warm. How do you like this, this, little, this little girl, hey? It's like you just you hug yourself. So, so when you go and you love people, you feel warm. The love that I'm talking about is agape. And those of you who don't know about this, maybe I need to just explain that quickly. Most of us should know this, but if you don't, when the, when the Bible talks about love in the Greek language, there's four different words for love. And sometimes we misunderstand what, what this means. And when I say love this morning, I'm talking about agape. And agape is, is, is really this, is to do that which will benefit somebody else regardless of how you feel. And the example that I always use, for example, is this. It's like when, when, when I say love your wife and she really loves it, when, she enjoys it when you make her a cup of coffee. You don't feel like getting up from watching football to go and make her a cup of coffee. You don't feel like it. But when you do get up, it's a decision and it's a verb. You get up from your buttocks. You go make her a cup of coffee, take her to her where she's relaxing in the bath. You give it to her. You've just done agape. You didn't feel like doing it, but you did it. That is the type of love I'm talking about this morning. It's not based on feeling. It's based on a choice. It's a verb. It's based on action. And so you can have a cold heart. Listen carefully. You can have a cold heart and love somebody. Think about that. You don't feel like caring about this person, but you do it. You don't feel like going out of your way to help somebody, but you do it. It goes against your feelings. That's what agape is. Do you think Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, he was like, I'm so excited to be nailed to a cross tomorrow. I, I can't wait to feel the crown of thorns on my head and to hang there. It's going to be great to die. Do you think he felt like it? In actual fact, he felt the opposite. When he was praying in the garden, he said, Lord, if there's any other way, for the sins of the world to be forgiven, let's, let, let's do something else. Let's make another plan. He didn't feel like it, but he so agaped the world that he went and gave himself up. 
That's essentially love. And this is the struggle that we have. Because when we read the Bible, it says, hey, you need to go love people. It's like, I don't want to. That guy is a retard. I've got to go love that guy. I want to punch him in the head. That's essentially the struggle that we have is because we misunderstand what this love is. And something interesting happens. Expressed love mutates into eternalized love. And if these words are a little bit big, let me explain this. Something unique happens, and I, I don't know why it is the way that it is. Maybe God just made it this way. But when I decide to love somebody, suddenly I start feeling something for them. I don't feel something when I start doing it. But because I'm doing it, I'm starting to, the, well, my actions are coming into my heart. I'll give you an example. And I've, I've shared this maybe before. But this lady came to a counselor. And she said to the counselor, hey man, my, my husband has been really mistreating me my whole life. And I want to I wanna, I wanna divorce him. He's been hurting me my whole life. I want to divorce him. And I want you to give me advice on how I could really wreck his life. I want to hurt him badly. You know, he's cheated on me. He's abused me. And I want to hurt him back like nobody's business. The counselor says, oh, I've got a great idea, man. You, you, you go home and you treat him like a king. You just build him up. You just give him everything he wants. You're just the friendliest, most incredible wife. You wash his washing. You don't care about his socks lying all over the place. You make, him, you make him great meals every night what he wants. You're available to him romantically. Whatever it is that he wants, you make him feel like a king. And then give it two months. And then after two months, then you just serve him divorce papers. He's not going to know what happened. Because he thought everything is great and this woman is amazing. And now suddenly you just break at the, at, at, at the pinnacle of an extremely incredible marriage. You go and you break it off with him. And you'll see, he'll be on his knees begging to have you back. And then you say, ha, ha, sorry, bro. So a few months go by, like six months goes by. And she, she, the counselor is walking in the mall and he walks past her. And, and, and they're like connecting quickly. And the counselor is like, hey, did you, did, did you smash him? Did, did you divorce him? Did you break it up badly? And she's like, no. Actually, the opposite happened. I realized how much I loved him. And the more that I loved him and reached out to him and blessed him, the more I just fell in love with the guy. I think there's deep truth in this. That when we decide to love people we don't like, you start liking them. Like when you... Um, if you dress warm, you will feel warm. Similarly, spiritually, if you act loving, you will become loving. If you give love, you will become love. Now, I don't have a scripture to prove this to you. I, I've just seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. That this is a truth that happens. In other words, in Greek, if you agape, it will eventually turn into phileo. Phileo is a deep-seated emotional love based on time and experience and interaction with a person. Love is the most difficult thing to do. It's the most difficult. I watched a movie this week. It's called uh, Leave the World Behind. Don't go watch it. There's a, it there's, there's a lot of swearing in there, and it's really disappointing when the movie ends, and it's, it's really silly. But there's this woman in there. She's the main actress, uh, Julia Roberts. And in the beginning of the movie, she's like, I want to get out of this place. I want to go get a beach house. I want to rent it out. And I just want to get away from the world. But that's why it's called leave the world behind. I want to leave the world behind. And I just want to go hang out with my family. And then she says, like it so strongly, 
like sort of into the camera. She says, I hate people. I just want to get away from him. And, and I think it's maybe less in a little town like this, but I think in the big cities, you get annoyed with people. You've got to drive next to them in the traffic. You've got to work with some of really crazy people that's unloving and that's cold and unkind and unfriendly. Um, so I can understand why some people feel like this. Many feel the same today. Many people feel exactly the same. And what people do is this. I would rather go tinker in my shop, you know, fix stuff and, and work on an engine than deal with people. I would, I would rather go mow the lawn. I would rather go work with the, with the cows and smell like cattle poop than go deal with people. And I said in the first lesson, I said, it's easier to love. Sometimes it's easier to love a lamp pole or a chicken without personality than some human beings. It's hard. It's tough. I'd rather spend the whole day isolated in my house by myself and feel lonely than go deal with some of the people in this world. It's very, very hard. Now, I'd like to suggest three reasons why. Why we struggle to love people. Number one, because of personal inconvenience. Personal inconvenience. Um, get in my car, um, drive in the rain, use my money to just show you some love. Why would I do that? It's inconvenient. Take time out of my day, put my plans aside to take you for coffee, to talk about your life, to be a blessing to you, to help you with your, with, with your kid, with your mother, with your... Why would I do that? It's, it's inconvenient. It's easy to love people when it's comfortable, Right? When, it's, when it falls in line with my comfort zone, it's easy to love people. But the love that Christ calls of, of us is, is, is a little bit more complex than that, right? Like Jesus leaves heaven. I think it's pretty comfortable up there. Well, what do you think? I think he had an incredible lounge and flat screen TV. He left all of that to come down to our level, to come what? Down across? That's pretty inconvenient. The second thing that we struggle, the reason why we struggle to love is because dislike and difference. You are not like me. You're just not like me. You don't like what I like. You do not do what I do. It's very hard then to love you. You don't go to church where I go to church. And you don't vote for the same political party as I do. I'm blue, you red. You red, I'm blue. I, I don't like you. I don't like what you believe for. I don't like that you like our president or dislike him. We're not the same. You gay, I'm straight. I don't like you. Therefore, I can't love you. We're just not the same. We are different. Isn't it easy to love the people that are like us? Isn't it so much easier to love the people that think the same way that we do, that vote the same way that we do? And thirdly, unreciprocated love. It's one of the key reasons why we don't love. I can see that you're a cold person. I can see that you don't care whether I care about you or not. Why invest any time or emotion in you if I know that whatever I do for you, you'll never say thank you. And you won't even notice what I've done for you. You won't even notice that I've cared for you. You won't notice how I've gone out of my way for you. And if you don't care about me, why should I care about you? It's so easy to love people when they love you back. It's so hard to love people when they actually don't care. They really don't care. So I want us to do an exercise briefly this morning. Um, and I want us to look at this incredible story 
just briefly. We're not going to really unpack everything in it. But I want us to look at these three struggles that we have with loving people. And then look at the story of the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because this, I think, is Jesus's, the, I would say, the pinnacle of his teaching on love. And I think we can learn so much from it. Please read the story with me. Let's, let's see what happens here. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, you asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And when he says law, he's referring to what? The Torah, the law of Moses. He answered, and he's, this guy was actually good, really, because he, he didn't go to Sabbath or any other laws. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That actually, ladies and gentlemen, that's an incredible answer from a first century Pharisee or teacher of the law. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. I've highlighted the word do because it's a verb. You don't always feel like doing this, right? But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Where do you think this is going? It's exactly everything I've been speaking about, right? I, I, I don't mind loving people as long as I can choose who it is that I love. If it's somebody that loves me back, that's fine. If it's somebody that I like, that's fine. If it's somebody that agrees with me, that's fine. But I want to just figure out, Jesus, I mean, surely you don't think we've got to love all people, just, you know, certain people. Oh, wrong guy to ask. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts? Robbers? Sorry. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. few things that I just want to point out about this. Number one. Loving God and loving people goes together. You cannot love God and not people. They go hand in hand. That's why when he answers, he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's both vertical and horizontal. The shape of the cross, right? That's the cross. You've got to do both. And sometimes, unfortunately, beautiful religious people, it's like, I love God, but I don't care about people. I go to church, I'll worship Him, but the guy sitting next to me, I don't want to know that guy. He's weird looking. Secondly, Love is a choice and a verb. You see it clearly in the text. Thirdly, we have no problem loving people whom we feel love towards already. But we have a problem with loving people we don't feel anything for. Now, 
I want you to know, loving people you feel nothing for, that is radical love. And that's the love that Jesus calls us to. So three points on this. Number one, the love of Christ embraces inconvenience. Look at the priest and the Levite for a moment. There were apparently, they say about 12,000 priests living in Jericho. Now I want you to, I don't have a map, you're just going to keep it simple. Between Jericho and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. And these priests and Levites would live in Jericho. And they would travel to Jerusalem every day, some of them. Because they had a schedule of services that they had to perform at the temple. These were God's holy people. Taking care of all the things that needed to take place with worship and sacrifice. These spiritual and religious leaders, the priests and the Levites... They were of God's special tribe, and they were supposed to represent Him best, and they are on their way to serve God at the temple. And when they get to this man lying in the road, they move on the other side of the road. They look at him and move to the other side. They don't want to be close to this guy. And we are perplexed because we look at these guys, hey, but you are God's preachers, God's pastors. That's who they were. The holy guys. And you don't help the guy next to the road. And I want to suggest to you two possible reasons why they didn't want to help him. Maybe they were thinking, well, what if I get robbed? I, it's so interesting this morning. I, I took out my phone to sort of video record Neo singing up here. Mr. Shy Guy. Thank you, Doug, for doing that. And I've got, now I've got my phone with me. And I'm, I'm still a little bit stuck in the South African ways. I was like... I can't leave my phone like on the pew here while I come and preach. You know, on the way out, somebody might just steal it. That's Africa. Welcome. I was like, oh, thank you. I'm in America. So I left it on the pew over there. Can you imagine these guys? They're walking past. Oh, this guy was robbed and beaten. Maybe they are waiting in ambush because there's a lot of rocks and it's a very rugged terrain. Maybe there's some other robbers around here and they're hiding. And the moment we go down to help this guy, they're going to rob us. I need to get to the temple, man. I don't have time to be robbed now. I need to get to the temple. The people are waiting for me. There's sacrifices and prayers to be made. There's a God to be served. No, 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 no. I'll put God first before this guy. Really? What about another one? And I think this is more the issue at hand. What if this guy is dead? Or he's about to die? What if he's dead or he's about to die? The text says that he was literally half dead. Just a quick question. Anybody here ever been half dead? I'd just like to know, like, what does it feel like? Were you busy running when that was happening? Or were you, like, sort of trying to hold on for dear life? Like, were you speaking a lot? Was your eyes moving a lot? Or were you like, uh, I think half dead means, like, sort of, you, 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 you're literally not moving. A half dead person doesn't move much. He doesn't have a strong heartbeat. He's probably not that, that warm as well. Um, now, here's the question. Why would this potential death be a problem? Look at this text in Numbers chapter 19, verse 16. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. The priest is like, and the Levites are like, I'm on my way to the temple. You can't go into the temple if you're unclean. I can't touch a dead person. If I touch a dead person, I can't work for seven days. Brother Trevor over there is a, is, is, is a farming guy. Brother Trevor, imagine you can't go to work for seven days. It would, it would drive you nuts, wouldn't it? 
Now, in this context, these are religious leaders. Oh, I can't go serve God for seven days because there's all kinds of, you can go read the text further, the verses before, there's all kinds of washing and sprinkling and hyssop and holy people have to come and clean you. And it's, it's a crazy, it's so inconvenient if you touch a dead person. So they're like, yeah, man, uh, dude, I, I wish you all the best. but I'm, if, You might be alive, but if I carry you like from here, you know, two miles down the road, you die. Oh, then I'm done for seven days. I can't go to the temple and worship God. That's highly, highly inconvenient. I need to put God's sacrifices first. God comes first before you. I need to go and worship God and stay clean. And I think a powerful verse that came into my mind is Hosea 6 verse 6, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's like, no, God wants sacrifices, not mercy. No, God wants mercy. Forget about the sacrifice. Look at the Samaritan. So we've looked at the priest and the, the Levite. Look at the Samaritan. Think what he does. He stops his own journey. He uses his supplies, the text says, his bandages, his oil, his wine. And he places, and this is for me the worst, he places this guy on his donkey. Now the image I had for you had a, um, what's that, an, a camel in the back. So we need to get a hold of that guy for, for drawing the wrong thing there. But think about it. He puts somebody on his donkey. What do you think he's been doing with his donkey? He's been riding it himself. He's giving up his seat in the limo. He's giving it to this guy. Okay, I'll walk the rest of the way. You take the donkey. That's highly inconvenient. I mean, just for that, I would have said, yeah, bro, I'll put on some bandages. Uh, hopefully somebody else can take you further, but I'm going on my donkey, bro. It's like 10 miles to go. I'm not going to walk. This guy's, no, I will walk so you can, you can get to some help. So he uses his own money to pay someone to take care of him. That's pretty inconvenient. It would have been far less inconvenient for the Levites and the priests to help him. Do you know why? Because... This Samaritan was far away from Samaria. He had no family and friends around. The Jews, the, the priests and the Levites, they just, Jericho isn't that far away. And there's 12,000 Levites living there. They could have called somebody to help. They could have made a plan much easier than the Samaritan. But the Samaritan says, no, I'm going to help this guy. The love of Christ says, you need my help more than I need comfort and convenience. The love of Christ says, your struggle and your suffering outweighs my priorities. You have it bad, man. And I can work my schedule around you. And I can work my finances around you. Honestly, this is often why I'm late. I don't know, have any of you realized I'm late sometimes? Nobody. Yet I've been doing a great job. That's fantastic. Usually I'm late. And the reason why I'm late is because sometimes I'm engaged with a conversation with somebody that really needs that. And I've got a meal appointment with somebody else. I would, in that moment, prioritize this conversation over being on time for a bagel. We've got to prioritize loving people over everything else. That's what this guy does here. The love of Christ doesn't care about inconvenience. The love of Christ endures a crown of thorns, stands up under whippings and beatings. The love of Christ hangs on a cross. The next time you find yourself saying no to an opportunity of embodying love, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I shying away because of inconvenience or because of some other reason? 
Let me give you a real example, the best example I can think of this week and probably in my whole life of inconvenience. I want to hail the ladies who went and sat by Nancy's bed this past week. That is love. And for those of you who don't know, Nancy needed somebody next to her side 24-7 to make sure that she gets her medication, to watch her breathing, to make sure that she's comfortable and that she doesn't fall off the bed. And there were some ladies in this church who sat the whole night through with her. That, ladies and gentlemen, that is inconvenient love. And that's the love of Christ. And I want to thank you for that. Well done. This is the second point. The love of Christ shatters the boundaries of difference. Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. Here's John 4 verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The women even hesitated to give Jesus water in this story. They would not drink out of the same cup. Jews and, Gent and, and Samaritans, they don't drink out of the same cups. They don't eat out of the same plates. They don't associate with each other in any way. They did not even look at each other. They avoided eye contact because they hated each other so much. The Jews believed the Samaritans were a mixed people, a mixture between the Gentile Assyrians and ancient Jews. And so they were not pure-blooded people. They disagreed about theology deeply, about the place of worship. They disagreed about that. They disagreed about the canon of Scripture, about theology like the resurrection of the dead. And when the Jews tried to rebuild the temple, you know what the Samaritans did? They brought pig blood and poured it over the temple area. You want to annoy a Jew, you sprinkle some pig blood on him. You go nuts. That's what they did. And the Jews hated them for that. John 8, 48 says, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Some Jews even went further and said, Well, a Samaritan is an ungodly. He's driven by the devil, and he's only following the devil, and the devil is in, the, in them. So there was extreme hatred. They were heretics and devils. Jews did not walk through Samaria. They hated the half-bred uh, Samaritans. And in today's terms, we could say it's a similar relationship that the Jews and the Samaritan had, very similar to what the Jews and the Palestinians have today. If you want a modern example, that could work. The Levite and the priest in the Greek says, they looked and left. So they, they sort of saw this guy next to the road, and they came closer. Now the guy lying next to the road is a Jew. And a Levite and a priest should be taking care of the Jew, right? And they looked, saw, thought, uh, and they left. Not just go along, no. Other side of the road. Stay as far away from this guy as possible, because you might get contaminated and become unclean. They were Jews. And they saw a Jew lying there, but decided to leave out of convenience. They looked and they left. But the Samaritan, the Greek says it so well, the most unlikely person to care about a Jew, saw and cared. Listen carefully. The Jew looked and left. The Samaritan saw and cared. Splachnitsumai is the Greek word. 
His bowels were moving. His bowels were yearning. He felt in his gut, he's got to take care of this guy. He had compassion. And in that moment of compassion, he didn't think about the difference in theology. He didn't think about the difference in race. He was overwhelmed with compassion. He didn't care about the differences in theological matters. He cared about helping another human in need, a person in pain, a person that maybe hated him, disagreed with him on politics and in theology. Suddenly, the differences didn't matter. Love overwhelmed the differences and muted it. When we focus on our differences, we develop dislike and hate. When we focus on our similarities, we develop love and compassion. And this this Samaritan was forced in that moment to recognize, hey, this is a human. It's a human. The Samaritan did well. He basically asked the question, what if this was me? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So what if this was me? How would I want somebody to love me? Let's bring this home. When the Samaritan saw the injured Jew, he did not see his enemy. He didn't see a theological problem or a hater. He saw a man robbed and beaten by thieves. That is why he could love him. He saw a vulnerable man. I'll be real for a second about me. There's some people in this world that I struggle to love. And maybe you can also point out some. I don't put names on it. It's not really, and and this is the key. It's not that I've got a problem with a specific person. It's that I've got a problem with certain people that carry an ideology or a belief system. I'll give you examples. Don't, you know, still love me, eh? It's such a cool sermon because you have to love me regardless of what I say. Great. So, I struggle I struggle to love um, Muslim ideology, and I'll explain that later on. I struggle to love certain aspects of politics. Maybe some people in this world really struggles to love Jews. I struggle to love people like Hamas, those of you watching the news and know what has happened on the 7th of October. I, I, I struggle hard to like, like, Jesus says, go love that guy. No, I don't want to punch you in the head. You guys know how it goes. Or maybe certain politicians, you struggle to wrap your head around, well, how could I love that guy? Or LGBTQ stuff, people. It's hard. I want you to think for a moment about w- what type of person you'd struggle to love based on sort of examples that I gave now. What if people we struggle to love, listen carefully, what if the people that we struggle to love that fall into some of these categories, what if they were simply victims of an enemy attack? Think about it. What if they were simply victims of an enemy attack? This Jew was lying in in the road because he's been attacked by thieves and robbers. (coughs) And the Samaritan stripped all of his differences away and said, hey, you're a victim of thieves. I'm going to help you. And in the story, and this is what helps me personally to, to love people that I so deeply disagree with, is because there is an enemy that's far bigger than that person. There's a thief and a liar and a murderer that's destroying our world. That is teaching people things that causes us to dislike them. 
that instigates this hatred towards each other. His name is Satan. And he is as much our enemy as he is that person that we don't like, that we dis disagree with. He is the enemy. He is the one pushing cold love. He is the one separating people. He is the one that increases wickedness and leads us to the point where we don't want to love people. And when we separate ourselves from people, we start loving people less. We're just falling right in line with His plan. That's what He wants. He wants the hatred. He wants the cold love. And He knows how to get us to dislike people. He knows exactly how to do that. Now, we can, I mean, this is the one time in a, in a sermon that I would say we can hate something. The book of Jude says that you can hate, it's actually, it's a command, hate even the clothing corrupted by evil, by sin, even the clothes of evil. So I'm going to say it. Would you like, I mean, would you like to hate somebody? Like anybody who would like to do that. Here's one guy you can hate, Satan. There's one guy you can hate. And this is very important. We hate Satan by loving people. You, you want to stick it to, to the ancient serpent? You want to stick it to the great red dragon? You really want to give him an elbow in the head? Go love somebody. Because that's exactly what he doesn't want you to do. Then there's a third point to close off with. The love of Christ gives without expectation. Gives without expectation. We don't pick up any glimpse in the story of the Samaritan expecting anything in return for his care of the Jew. He helped him. He transported him. He paid for his lodging and then he left. And if there would be any bill later, you'd pr he would pay for it on the way back whether the Jew was there or not. We don't pick up anything where the Samaritan is like, um, just make sure this guy pays me back. It's nothing like that. He did not expect a return. He did not expect a thank you. He did not expect a payback. He did not help the guy to be thanked. He did not help the guy for some financial blessing. He helped him because he decided to love in that moment. That's what love is. Love gives without expecting. Love gives without desiring reciprocation. He gives. He had the right attitude. He was going to love even if he had never heard from this guy again. He was going to pay even if he never got paid back again. He was going to bind up his wounds even if this Jew would never have done the same for him. Oh, we so often fall into the same trap of only doing blessings to those who bless us back. Look at what Jesus said here. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. There is, I'm going to conclude with this in a second time, there is no other faith on planet earth that preaches this. If you love someone expecting some type of return, you'll quickly stop loving. Do you know why? Because you'll soon realize 99% of people will never repay you for the love you've given them. Jesus dies on a cross because he loves the whole world and the whole, practically the whole world's like, I don't care about you, man. 
or what you did on the cross for me. So if we go out with expectations, you'll soon stop loving. I've had it with these people. They don't care. So rather decide to just love people, to do good to them, to bind up their wounds, to let them be blessed by your possessions, let them be healed through the blessings that God has given you, the heart that God has given you. Be generous, bless, behave compassionately, and don't ever allow your mind to think about any return. Do it because God loves you and because you love Him. It's not what people think of you, it's what you think of you. It's not about how people love you back, but about how you love people. Let's conclude. I love this statement. He that showed mercy on him. That's the answer this teacher in the law gave to Jesus. Who fulfilled the law? The one who showed mercy on him. The Samaritan. When you dress up, when you dress up yourself in compassion and mercy, the world becomes a better place for you. And for them. That guy decided before he went out of his house or wherever he came from. That he would show off something. And in this instance it was compassion. And his compassion was not based on the Jews behavior. But in his own predetermined nature. He decided whoever I meet today. I'm going to bless and love. Secondly. Ignorance is not bliss. It is godless. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 to 4. Incredible text. A law for the Israelites. God says to the Israelites, Hey man, when you see, listen carefully, you see, do I have it actually here? No, I don't. When you see your neighbor's animal lying in the road injured, the text says specifically, don't ignore it. Help the animal up. And take it to your neighbor. That's what God requires of an animal. Never mind a human being. And it uses specifically the word ignore. When we walk past people and we ignore the hurt in their lives. It's a bad idea. It's not bliss to ignore. It's godless. Thirdly, Christianity is the supreme religion of love. There is no other faith on the planet that comes near it. And I'm going to use Islam as an example. I told you I was going to come back to this. Because of what's happening in our world today. Listen carefully and go read between the lines when you go read what's happening in the Middle, in the middle East. Islam says, love those who love you. Kill those who persecute you. That is at the heart of Islam. Brother Terry, I think that's your wife looking for you. Guarantee you, she's missing you, brother. Islam says, love those who love you, kill those who persecute you. You don't believe me? Go listen carefully. Look at what Christianity says. And if you look at what Islam says there, that sort of makes sense. From a worldly, fleshly perspective. And this is how you know when a religion is created by God or by man. Look at what Jesus says. Love those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. That's a different level. A different level altogether. Ask yourself in your own life to close off this morning. Which one of these two do you live by the most? 
That, that, this is the heart of what makes Christianity different. Like, do you follow Jesus or do you follow the flesh? The flesh says, I only bless and love those who do the same to me. I only bless and love those that's convenient. The cross says, no, even those who hate you, I'm, I'm going to love. No, no, even those who, who, who physically go against me or verbally abuse me, I'm going to go against. No, Jesus says, bless them. Which one? Where do you stand? May God bless you on this journey, and I guarantee you, and this is the real reason why, why I'm talking about this, this will make you warm. It will make you warm. Go do likewise, Jesus says. Please stand. Then we sing the closing song for this morning.